So we're going to be looking at a chapter in Matthew 6 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles um, with you, you can turn to Matthew 6. If those, those of you at home have a Bible near you, you can turn to Matthew 6. We're chatting this morning about a couple of questions that came in in this You Asked For It series surrounding a topic that has tended to be a bit of a taboo subject in the church. And that's the conversation of tithing. Now, the, the word for tithe comes out of the Hebrew word for tenth. Um, it's in Leviticus. And so it's often been understood that since Israel was asked to give the first tenth, or some, somewhere it says, the, sometimes it says the first fruits, of all of their wealth or income, they were, they were meant to give the first tenth of that, then for us in our giving, it's been understood similarly, the first tenth of our income should also be devoted to the Lord in, in some form or another. That's, that's a starting point for us as Christians. So, so why does this conversation then tend to involve tension or angst? Uh, it, you know, it's just a part of our discipleship. It shouldn't be a big deal. Well, it's because it involves the one thing in our society that tends to bring out the worst in us. That's money. Money has this deceptive ability or power to bring out the absolute worst in us. And so how we think about it, how we talk about it, how we converse with one another about it, how we approach one another is immensely important. Not to mention how we include it or how we speak about it in the context of our worship. So I want to flesh that out, but let's first read the passage. So we're looking at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, starting at verse 19 to 21, and then we're going to jump to verse 24. So this is what the Gospel of Matthew says. This is what Christ says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just briefly, I, I want to clarify what Jesus is and isn't saying here in this passage. Because when he, when he speaks about heaven and earth... He's not telling us to store up treasures in heaven as if, it's, as if it's some other place, as if we're storing up things for ourselves in another world after we die, almost like we're investing into a kind of future life. That's not what he's saying. Rather, as one scholar puts it, heaven is where God is right now. That's how they thought about it. That's how they, they, they associated heaven with where God dwells, where he is now. And where if you, if you learn to love and serve God now, you will have treasure in the present, not just in the future. So it wasn't about something to come. It was, it was about living a certain way to have treasure now. And as Jesus said, it's treasure that can't be taken from us. So if you're, if you're storing up treasures in heaven, you're not connecting yourselves to things then that can be stolen from you, eaten or broken. And if you start doing kind of an inventory of all the things that we have in this world, that cuts out pretty much everything that we can either earn or attain or gain for ourselves. So... We're storing up then or accumulating treasure that we cannot buy or earn, yet we can enjoy it now in the present. So it must be something then that is offered to us that brings us closer to heaven, closer to where the Spirit of God is, and that, that sort of bridges heaven and earth. Our treasure really 
is Jesus himself. He's drawing us here, as always, to himself. So with that then as kind of our launch pad, I want to address the topic of money and tithing this morning in in three ways, okay? Money as master, money as worship, and money as a means for formation, okay? Money as master, money as worship, and money as a means for formation. So number one, Jesus makes it pretty clear that money has the potential to master over us. He uses that language very intentionally because he never, he never puts anything else in that category. Money is the only thing that Jesus ever puts directly beside God himself as something that can be a master to us. And the ancient way of speaking about it, calling it mammon, which you've probably heard before, was a way of referring to property and wealth as if it were a god, which is exactly Jesus' point here. You ever heard that phrase, the almighty dollar? We use that. We, we use similar terms today. We joke about money, and we have all these terms for it, but that's because we're very aware of the almighty power that it can have over us. Because when we speak about a master, we, we speak about someone or something that has ultimate control over us. It's, it demands things of us. It has a hold on us. We're, we're under its authority. Jesus knows that money has the capacity to put us under its authority. And when we're serving a master other than God, we will begin to mirror, we'll begin to look like that which we serve. I learned a new word the other day, rapacious. Some of you may have heard of that word and you're thinking you didn't know that word, but I learned a new word the other day, it's rapacious. It means aggressively greedy or grasping. I thought that's the perfect word. In other words, it's someone who is owned by the master of, of money. If you're aggressively greedy or grasping, you're owned by the master of money. Whether rich or poor, we human beings want to aggressively grasp onto that which will give us a sense of being in control. Which is why money has the ability, as I said earlier, to bring out the worst in us. Danny and I recently went to Cabela's out in Abbotsford and we saw that the rain, I didn't tell you that we were gonna tell this story, but we saw that the rain jackets were on sale and 40% off. Okay, 40% off. There was a whole section. And he didn't have a rain jacket, which I know is silly because we live in a rainforest, but he didn't have a rain jacket. So we thought, we should get you a rain jacket. And I'm thinking in the head, you know, this is the Dutch side of me. I'm thinking, it's 40% off. So I'm justifying spending, you know, the money on a new rain jacket because it's 40% off. Well, we get to the till. And turns out, this particular jacket wasn't in the 40% off category. Oh, yeah, I know you know how I feel. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I was a little livid. I didn't show it. I mean, the poor guy behind the, behind the counter, I wasn't going to say anything, but I was kind of frustrated. And, and it, it, it created this turmoil within me. Because we've all had those moments, right? Whether it's a rain jacket or something bigger or smaller. We've all had those moments where, one, you're frustrated because you don't think that item should cost really that much money, so you justified it because it was on sale. You, you feel somewhat deceived by the poor signage, and, and suddenly you're doubting whether or not this, this item was worthy of the money that you invested into it. And, and we all have different ways of thinking how to spend money. We all have different ideas of how to properly spend money. But the point is that we sometimes, the, the ways that we sometimes react demonstrates that money has this odd power over us that can affect us deeply and cause some sometimes really irrational emotions. 
So no wonder then that, that money is one of the greatest causes in, or factors in divorce cases. It's no wonder it's a frequent reason for company divisions. It's a major cause for intense family feuds over wills and estates. It, it breaks families apart. And it's so easy to assume that, that one's way of spending money is more appropriate. You know, we shouldn't spend money on this. We should save more. We should invest here. We should spend on this and not that. On a global scale, look at what's happened just in our own continent. The U.S. puts tariffs on Canadian aluminum, and within 24 hours, Canada retaliates and puts like $3.6 billion worth of taxes on them. Money brings out the worst in us. And so when it comes to the gods of our culture, money is our Zeus. If our sphere of finances gets put in disarray, we're freaked out because we feel like we're no longer in control. It's why getting scammed is one of the worst feelings in the world. I once got scammed buying a cell phone off Craigslist, and you might be saying to me, Jenna, that was problem number one, you should never buy a cell phone off Craigslist, but I got scammed once buying a cell phone off Craigslist, and it made me feel so sick. When you realize that you get scammed, when you got scammed, and it's just this, like, this gut-wrenching emotion, like you feel almost violated. Money and the love of money leads people to do terrible things and others to be deeply impacted by those terrible things, which easily allows it to become master in our lives. And we need to take very seriously that Jesus said we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve God, we can't, if we're also serving money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the heart, as, as Tim Keller puts it, is where the seed of your trust is. Your heart is where your trust is. It's whatever you trust in most, which affects all of your thinking, your will, and your emotions, everything. So if that's the case, then we cannot trust. Our heart cannot be fixated on God. We cannot trust him if we're trusting in money. It's why there's, there are hundreds of verses, I think up to about 2,000 verses in Scripture that are, that are centered around the conversation of, of money and wealth. Because God knows, he knows that it's the one thing that often comes first in our priority list above him. He knows that. So if we recognize this, if we can realize this then, and, and realization is always the first step, how then do we store up treasures in heaven, knowing that Christ is our treasure, so that our, our hearts can be focused on him, so that our hearts can serve and trust in him? Well, for starters, number two, we connect it with worship, and specifically our worship services. And we can just say this up front, that, that yes, the, the offering time is, is often is often the part of the service that can feel the most awkward or strange. Many who aren't familiar with the idea of tithing as a Christian discipline might see the practice, you know, like the plate at the door or the baskets coming around as, you know, they, they might see that and think, you know, wow, that's a little tacky or off-putting. It, it's something that the church has actually struggled with for years, the, the whole joke that the church just wants your money. It, it can leave a, a bad taste in people's mouths, or it's just a bit jarring sometimes because the church is so outright about it. But we have a couple of problems there because the perception, what's perceived, is not actually accurate to the reality. And maybe we just need to get better at framing it a bit more often. But for one, 
There's no division between the church and the people giving to said church. It's, it's not the, the organization over here and the people over here, like, like some sort of a charity or something else that you would give to. We collectively are the church. And so when we give of our finances, we're all doing it. We're all doing it. We're giving with one another in mind. We're, we're giving in large respect towards and for one another. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, he made it very clear that their offerings, their generosity, was not a payment to him, but a partnership. They're involved in a mission together. He's, he's not anxious about getting their money. He's, he simply expresses joy at the generosity that they've shown by these Philippians who want to give to God's work and trust that their needs will still be met. As N.T. Wright puts it, this, this isn't a commercial transaction, but a shared ministry in the gospel. This is how we understand it. Putting funds into that plate or donating on tithely or, or whatever is, is contributing to the mission that we all together are a part of. And secondly, then, the, the jarring element, the, the reason why we're so upfront about it and, and put it out there every Sunday is only because we know the kind of power that the master of money can have over us. So when a non-believer comes in and asks, why do you guys involve an offering in your services, you can respond if you want, that we do so because we know that if there's anything in this life that's going to have a hold on us that isn't Jesus Christ, it's money. We know that. We know that if there's anything that's going to come first before Jesus, it's money. And so in every service, we acknowledge and we proclaim that money is not our master. We want to image Christ in everything we do and, and give to him in response to how he's given to us. We want to reflect him as our true master. Everything we have comes from him. And, and so we all partner together in this reality. We, we pool our resources together because we're journeying together in discipleship as a community and, and seeking to use those resources in a, in a way that's helpful for furthering his kingdom presence in the world. That's our hope. That's our vision. Because that's the treasure that we're seeking. More of him to be enjoyed in the here and now. More of that treasure to be enjoyed in the here and now. So to say then that the church just wants your money doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. The Lord can turn rocks into money. Like, we don't worry about that. This is about what we as disciples need to do in order to remember that we're not our own, that we belong to him and to one another. So having an offering in our services, however we want to do it, is, is a visible and active way of saying, I don't worship this master. I don't worship this master, but rather I worship my true master who has allowed me to temporarily hold this money and to steward it with him and his kingdom in mind. So then in that context of worship, money is then able to become a means of formation, of, of personal transformation and self-giving love, which is just absolutely incredible when you think about it. Something that can so easily become a rival master to us is actually transformed 
in the context of daily worship to be a redemptive means of, of self-sacrifice and love. That's insane. Because when money becomes a part of our worship, and I don't just mean here on Sundays, I mean every day. When money is a part of our, our worship, our being, our discipleship, what happens within us is a deepened trust that God will provide absolutely everything that we need even in times of scarcity, and that our sacrifice and generosity is drawing us nearer to him in the process. I know that there, there might be some of us here this morning who are, who are struggling with this right now, who, with just the, the conversation of money and finances in general, but hear me out. It's, it's in the direst of circumstances, when finances are tight, that we really need to practice generosity. It, it, and again, it doesn't have to be towards this community. To, to, I mean in general. It's in those kinds of seasons that habits are solidified. It's in the seasons when we so badly want to grip onto every cent that we own and we think that we can't manage without it that God asks us to trust him. There was a season when I first moved to Vancouver and I was... I was about to enter into grad school, I was living month by month. That's when working as a waitress is a big deal. You, every tip matters. You know, those 10 percenters really ticked me off. Um, but, but that was also a season of, of significant spiritual formation for me. Because I learned that if I could trust him in that season, I'd be good. Really. If I can trust him in that season, I can trust him in any season. We cannot operate out of positions of scarcity. Our God is so much bigger than that. Remember, Jesus was predominantly speaking to the lower class members of society, the less well-off, the poorer members. He, he praised the woman who gave of her two coins because it's all that she had. She gave out of her scarcity, not her abundance, because she trusted him, because he was more real to her than her finances. So this is an area that we always need to be challenging ourselves in. Because again, it's the one major thing that's going to keep us from living a truly sacrificial life. Scripture warns us of this, Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. You may think in your mind, you know, I should be more generous with my money. But if your heart is not trusting in something outside of money, it's never going to happen. A greater treasure has not become more real to you. Proverbs 30 presents this posture, Lord, do not refuse me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So let me avoid the extremes, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me only my daily bread. Why? So that I can depend on you alone. How often, when we recite the Lord's Prayer, do we really mean that? And again, I just want to reiterate that it's not a, this, isn't, this is a posture. This isn't about not gaining wealth or purposefully not gaining wealth, but it's a, it's a posture that we have within the context of money to say, Lord, give me my daily bread. Because our generosity is linked to our trust. So we have to figure out our trust first. 
Our generosity is linked to our trust, where giving is no longer just a concept or, or a discipline, but an active means of formation and love. Because we found a treasure that's more real to us than the treasures that the world offers. The most generous person I've ever known was actually my grandmother. She, would, she had no idea how much was left in her bank account. She would just be giving out money. Oh, I want to give to this, I want to give to that, I want to give to this. And eventually my dad got, who was, you know, looking over her accounts, got to a point where my dad said to her, Mom, you can't just keep giving out money. <laughs> She'd be give, tipping the Amazon guy, <laughs> you know, her hairdresser. Jesus loves you, you know. But the, the, the point there is that the more you give, the more you want to give. It's, it's part of the transformation process. And, and so in the church, if I can just land the plane for a second here, that in the church, money should never be a source of tension. It, it doesn't mean we don't respect the sensitivity of the conversation, but we don't make it taboo either. And, and we certainly don't allow it to be an argument because money then, rather than Jesus, becomes our master. And, and what is money compared to Christ? Really, money will never sacrifice for you. Money will never give up anything for you. Money will never love you with an unconditional, self-giving love that looks at you and says, you don't need to buy me anything. I've already paid the price. Only one master has done that. The vision must always be remembering that our finances fit into a bigger narrative of what God has done and is doing in the world. And as much as we can, we want to participate in that. We all have, have different things that we're passionate about, millions of ways that we can appropriately steward our finances. What you guys do over here is different than what you guys do over here, and what we do is different than what you guys do, and that's okay. So we consult with our master and we ask him, how would he like to see us managing it? And we, and we converse about it with open hands and humble hearts, lamenting our frequent selfishness and, and seeking wisdom because we know how destructive this tool can be. We are a part of the Holy Spirit's work in bringing the kingdom of God here. We get to demonstrate this is a privilege that we have. We get to demonstrate, individually and collectively, ways to utilize our finances for the glory of God. Because we treasure Him above all else. That is a beautiful privilege. We don't need to be afraid of money. We get to use it for His purposes. That is an incredible privilege. Because He's our greatest treasure. He is the treasure that we're seeking. So our, my prayer this morning is that we may be formed more and more into his self-giving likeness as, as stewards of generosity that follow the one master alone. As the song puts it, riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, First in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast.
The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.